You know, Father's Day is coming up, and, uh, and so I thought I would tell a little story about my dad, you know, because one thing I've learned through the years is I think that the dad's responsibility is either to give the family something to laugh about or someone to laugh at. It's one of the two, you know what I mean? And so, so my dad uh, did a little bit of both, but I think we laughed at my dad maybe more than we laughed about my dad because my dad just has this uncanny way of things happening to him that are just hilarious, like getting spit on by an elephant at the zoo. You know, being at the, at the, the, the concert in the park and the, back when the, the chairs that you have were just this aluminum metal that all of a sudden he'd sit in it and it would just, it just slowly slid down until he was just on the ground. And I mean, just the legs just out. So my dad is, um, is one of those folks that um, doesn't mind to be in control, unlike me, right? And, uh, and so, so he, he does, he's one of those that he likes to be in control of things, so much so whenever, you know, Rachel and I remember distinctly, we're going to dinner with my dad, we're driving into the parking lot, he had gotten there before us, he'd parked his car, there is literally one space in the entire parking lot available, one space, all right? And my dad comes over and he points at the space, like parked there, like I'm going to park anywhere else. But he just needed to tell me, this space is for you. Just need you to know that. And so, so this is kind of the guy that my dad is. He is absolutely wonderful. And it all comes from a space of wanting to take care of people. It comes from a space of just care and just amazing ways. But it just is hilarious, though, because anybody ever done the dude ranch thing before? You know, where you go and you, you, you stay somewhere and you have the whole ranch experience and breakfast and then the next day you go horseback riding and you're on these trail rides, you know, with like the 35 and 40-year-old horses. You know what I'm talking about? You know, those, those, yeah. So, so they're like sniffing each other's rear ends and that kind of thing, you know, the whole way and it's slow going out but coming back, it's way faster because they're pumped about getting back and getting some food and all that kind of, yeah, so we were on the dude ranch, right? And so we're there, family vacation, experience, time. My dad, he's not a small man, and, uh, and so they give him this big horse to ride, understandably so. You know, he gets this big horse, and my dad puts his, well, he works to get his foot up in the stirrup, right, first, gets his foot up in there, and about the time he grabs a hold of that saddle, his foot's in the stirrup, and he goes to get up, and it's about the time he gets up, the whole thing just slid underneath the horse. And I mean, he just slid underneath, and man, that horse turned around and looked at him like, really? Really? And it's, I mean, first of all, I know the horse was like, dude, do not get on me. Whatever you do, do not get on me. And then he fly underneath the horse, and the horse is like, man, it's everything I can do not to, like, go to the bathroom on you or something. I don't know. But it, it's, it's looking at him just like, really? We're doing this today? Meanwhile, we're just dying laughing. You know, I mean, I don't know exactly what was in the horse's mind, but what was in my mind and all of my siblings and my mom, everybody, we are just rolling laughing at my dad because this is that, my dad is one of these guys, he's just this pillar, and he's just this wonderful man of God, and, and things, they just work out for him in ways, and it's, it's, so this whole control thing, it kind of works out for him until it doesn't, and when it doesn't, it's just hilarious, you know, and so I don't know if you are the kind of person that you don't mind being in control of things, you know, and uh, you're kind of okay with navigating how life works, and it kind of working out that way before. Have you ever been guilty, though, of the one thinking you actually are in charge when you're really not? 
Ever been there before? Think you're in charge, think you got everything sorted out, but the reality is you're really not in charge of what's happening. You know what I mean? Have you ever approached scripture this way, where you're reading scripture and you're thinking, you know what? I got up early this morning. I got my new Bible plan. I got everything ready to go. I'm rocking and rolling. It's the plan I want to read. I'm very excited about it. I'm ready to read it. And you start reading through it, and you're reading from the perspective of, man, I'm going to get something really good out of this. That doesn't sound bad, does it? That sounds like that's what we're supposed to do. But do you hear how just kind of in the, the foundation of this is that controlling what's in it for me question? I'm going to get something really good out of this. And it sounds so holy. It sounds so pious. It sounds so good, right? You know, or maybe, maybe have you ever done this before? Okay, you're, It's that morning, and man, you're kind of rushed for time. But you need to get your Bible reading in. And so, man, you got your Bible plan. You get it out and you open it up and, and you start going only to find out. You finished the whole plan. You've checked all the, the little bubbles in there. You've done the plan. It says finished and continue. And you select continue and you think, I don't have a clue what I just read. I'm pretty sure I don't remember a single thing. I don't even remember the topic. Like, I don't even know what it's about at all, right? You've been there before, right? Rushing through and it's like, but you know what? I don't have time. I got to go. I had like the time I had, you know, to do this thing and go. Yeah, you know, we, it's, it's kind of a wild deal, you know, but it sometimes happens to us. It doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't make us bad people at all. We know we're selfish. We know that we look out for ourselves more than anybody else. And that, that's the thing that none of us are proud of. But we know in every decision we make, we just can't help but, but consider self in that decision making. And, and so, yeah. I mean, sometimes we can be guilty of seeking what we want to hear, and so maybe we skim Scripture and we're looking for those nuggets of truth that, that really we can hang on to and hold on to and feel really good about and really, really good, you know, or, or maybe we're just kind of pushing through passages of Scripture because they're just not as exciting as other passages, and we're just trying to stay awake or whatever the case may be. The thing is, is that Bible study, these two words, Bible study, they can mean the most pure, wonderful, amazing experience, and they can mean the most self-centered, arrogant, control freak reality all at the same time. It's a crazy deal. You know, these two words can be the most powerful, amazing words that we're going to have Bible study together. You know what else that can be code for? We're going to have a gossip session about other people. Can you believe that? We're going to take prayer requests, and what that means is we're going to find out all the, the inside scoop on everybody, and then we'll pray over them-ish. Now, that's a really bad way of looking at it, isn't it? But what it shows is our humanity. It shows what is our purpose. What's our purpose in studying Scripture? What's our purpose in Bible study? What's our purpose in gathering with the saints? What's our purpose in praying together? What are the, what's the why behind what we do? And what we're doing is we're working through a series right now where we're asking the question, what's in it for me? Because this is the question that we often ask at the foundation of our motivation, what's in it for me? And it kind of exposes our heart a bit, doesn't it? It exposes our heart that we would, we would have this foundation here. And so, so what we're going to do this evening, you know, last week we talked about delighting in the, war, in the Lord. And as we delight, what we're doing is we are becoming pliable. And so by delighting in the Lord, it's actually opening ourselves up for the Lord to mold and shape us into who he imagined us into being, our true selves. 
And that's what it means to delight in the Lord. And that's why the desires of our heart are met because the Lord is creating those desires, is molding those desires in us as we experience him. Well, in a similar way tonight, we're going to kind of flip the way we read Scripture around a little bit because a lot of times we read Scripture from the lens of what's in it for me. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to allow God's Word to read us and train us in God's ways. And so it's a, it's a bit different perspective, but it's an important perspective you know, because a lot of times we read to find out what we get out of Scripture, but what we want to do is we want to understand Scripture as God's Word in its purest form, and God's Word in its purest form is speaking to us, and in that speaking to us, what's happening is there's a delight taking place, and there's a pliability and a molding into who God created us to be and is bringing our true self out of us. And so not just are we reading Scripture, we actually want to ask Scripture and by scripture, we mean Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit to read us. And so this is how we're going to flip this around, not only tonight, but also um, throughout, well, the re- remainder of this week and the remainder of our days for that matter. Uh, and so let's just kind of dive in tonight. We're going to ask this first question, why should we read the Bible? It sounds like a pretty obvious question. It's a good thing to do, right? It's a great book, number one bestseller, all that good stuff. Why should we read the Bible? Well, let's, let's study as to why we should. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul tells Timothy these words. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so why? Why do we need to slow down Why do we need to take the time to allow Scripture to read us? What is the the importance of reading Scripture and it reading us? Well, number one, Scripture is God's primary way to instruct people as to what is the truth. This is the number one way to instruct you and me on what the truth is. Because there's a lot of people out there that'll tell you what the truth is. I mean, just search the internet, right? There's a lot of people that'll tell you what truth is, and it may or may not be true. But this here, Scripture, it is God's primary way. Yes, God speaks to us in our prayer life. God speaks to us through other people. God speaks to us through our experiences. Absolutely, Scripture is God's primary way. That's how we can know that we are hearing the voice of God unequivocally. We know it, that we know, that we know, that we know. Scripture is God's voice, God's primary way to instruct people as to what is the truth. The second reason is Scripture is also God's tool to help us realize what's wrong in our lives. And we can read Scripture, and this is the way that the Lord is able to point out things in our lives that we may or may not know. We may know that we're coloring outside the lines. We may not know that we are, but Scripture is the very tool that God uses in order to show us the way, in order to show us what is right, what is wrong in our lives, what is in between those, and what is this spectrum that is there. Scripture is the tool that God uses for this. Paul is telling Timothy these last two reasons is Scripture's God's way to teach us, Okay, there's a teaching that is happening in that moment. And then it's also teaching us how to do what is right. So it's not only what's wrong, not just teaching us the way, but then also the how behind what is right. 
So this is that training that we get that leads to godliness. And so it's kind of like, you know, how many of you guys played baseball? Anybody play t-ball? This is good times. T-ball? Yeah, man. T-ball's the best. Isn't it fun to watch kiddos that play t-ball hit the ball and go to third base? It's the best, you know? Or they run and they just completely bypass the base, and you're like, that is so cute. It's amazing to watch a little guy walk up there with his hands backwards and he's ready to swing the ball. And you're like, dude, you're going to break your arms one of these days if you do that, man. Don't do that. And so the coach comes over and goes, hang on, hang on, little Johnny. Let me show you. You take your hand. No, move that hand this way. No, choke up on the bat. No, come on back down to the... The coach is teaching. And it's the cutest thing in the world to see these little guys and gals that are trying to figure out this game. It's a whole nother ball game if you see a 16-year-old hit the ball and run to third base, isn't it? You see a 16-year-old grab that base baseball bat and whack, great hit, base hit, third base, here I come. Right? The coach is like, what? It's a very different reaction. The crowd has a different reaction. How about a 30-year-old that's playing church league softball? All right, gets up there, goes to, play, to, to, to hit the ball and has no idea what they're doing. Church League softball, man, things get real, real fast. You know what I mean? The true colors of the heart show in Church League softball. Yeah, it's not as cute. It's not as cute when the teenager does what the kid does. It's okay, man, they're learning. Now, they should know more about this by now. And now, man, dude, you're old enough to know. Come on. Y'all, this is the same process, isn't it? It's the same process when it comes to life. And when, when, when we're new in the faith, yeah, man, there's some things like, man, dude, we're going we're gonna to bypass, and we're good. As time goes on, it's like, man, we've been talking about this for like 10 years now. Dude, we've been, we're like 15, 20 years now, we've been talking about this same thing. Come on, right? This is the whole idea. And this is why the study of God's word, allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts and to read us as we are reading God's word, for the Lord to mold us and make us and expose our true self, the self that needs to be forgiven, the self that needs to be encouraged, the self that needs to be comforted. We open ourselves up to this because God trains us through God's word. It's the great way that God helps us to know the truth, to know the way to go, to know what's wrong in our lives, to know what is right. And the thing that is so cool about how God does this is that more times than not, when we read scripture, you know what God does? God is the original sports psychologist because you talk to any good coach out there, a good coach will tell you, you focus on what the player is supposed to do. You don't focus on what the player should not do. And the reason is, is that you tell the player, hey, whatever you do, don't miss. Guess what's going to happen? Hey, whatever you do, don't pass the ball to Jake. Eyes are going to be on Jake, right? I mean, they're, they're thinking about what not to do, and they end up doing the very thing that they've been coached not to do. But a good coach tells a player what to do, because then the player is focused on what they should do. This is what the Lord does. God is the original sports psychologist that tells us more often what to do, not just what not to do. Now, there are times that the, we read in Scripture what not to do, but more times than not, God tells us what to do rather than what not to do. And so you see how Bible study is so much more 
than just kind of filling our head full of knowledge. Bible study is, it goes beyond just a, a simple quiet time in the morning. It goes beyond a simple quiet time in the evening. It goes beyond checking a box during the day. It goes beyond just feeling good about ourselves that we've done something holy and righteous and good for the day. It goes far beyond that because this is a training program. And we're under a strict training program. And by strict, it just means powerful, effective, one that, that really does make life strong. It's a training program to be God's people, to serve God faithfully. But what we know is, any athlete will tell you, training takes time. Olympic athletes don't wake up one day and they're an Olympic athlete. You know, it's not that you just decide whenever you're eight, I think I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. There are those stories out there that you hear people dreaming of that, but there are very few that that happens to. It takes time. It takes training. It takes, it takes working out the body. It takes working out the mind. It takes working out the will. It takes working out an ability to push past hard things and to work through the easy things and to, to celebrate the victories and to learn how to lose and all that kind of stuff. It requires training in order to serve God faithfully. And guys, this can be a major struggle. I'm not saying anything that anybody in this room, anybody online, you're not proficient with. It can be a struggle at times. And sometimes that struggle results in we don't do it. We don't study the Word of God. We don't allow the Word of God to, to be a reflection in our lives on what our lives are all about. We don't do that. Or maybe we're in a low season, and what we're doing is we're genuinely reading Scripture for personal comfort. We're reading scripture to try to find the easy button. We're reading scripture simply as an intellectual pursuit because you enjoy the debate, maybe, with somebody about the things of faith or the church or whatever the case may be. You just like the intellectual debate. So maybe these are in kind of those low times of life. We just, we seek these different methods. You know, Richard Foster, he's an author. He, he joined with Catherine Helmers uh, to describe this 21st century problem with our way of reading the Bible, okay? Here's, here's what is said. The source of the problem is rooted in the two most common objectives that people have for studying the Bible. The first, it's the practice of studying the Bible for information or knowledge alone, just head knowledge. It may include information about a particular facts or historical events or knowledge of general truths or doctrines or even knowledge of how others are mistaken in their religious views, beliefs, and practices. In other words, this is kind of a book among the books that are being read to broaden the brain, to broaden the horizon, to give, to give us intellectual stimulation. The second common objective people often have for studying the Bible is to find some formula this may be the even more prevalent, but to find some formula that will solve whatever the pressing need of the moment is. This is the one where we kind of lovingly, I guess, refer to it as the Hail Mary, if you will, right? We just kind of throw in this thing up and we're kind of opening up the word of God and putting a finger in it, reading it and going, this is God's word to me today, you know? And I'm just hoping that it's gonna speak to my situation and my circumstance and solve whatever that pressing need. So he says, thus we seek out lists in scripture of specific passages that speak to particular needs rather than seeking whole life discipleship to Jesus. These are great words here. These are great words here for just to, us to see, 
Are we guilty of either one of these? Are we guilty of the intellectual pursuit or are we guilty of utilizing scripture solely to solve a problem that we've got in our lives? Because in so doing, either one of those things doesn't give the whole. It doesn't equate to the whole of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we read scripture, we have to allow for the the fullness of it. There's this spiritual discipline that medieval monks used to, they used to internalize scripture and, and it was called the Lectio Divina. Now, this is just a really fancy way um, of, of saying the study of God's word, the divine study of God's word, trusting that God is speaking to. And so this was kind of the first half of their, their spiritual exercise was that they would study God's word, the Lectio Divina, and then the second half of it was the meditation part. And so what they would do is not only in their study would they read the scripture in their head, but they would also read it out loud. And as they read it out loud, they not only were hearing Scripture, or they were not only reading Scripture, they were hearing Scripture, and it was beginning to impact at a different level. And as they, it impacted at a different level, then they took it to the meditation time where they sat still, and they allowed the Word of God to speak to them. They took the time to listen. We talk about it on a regular basis when we pray How many times do we ask God and then that's it? We don't wait for the answer. We'll ask God a question and and then we're kind of on to the next thing. Or we ask God for something, it happens, and then do we ever thank him? (laughs) Do we ever take time to go, Lord, you know, hang on just a second. Let me make sure we come back here. Let me talk to you about this. It's the time factor. and We live ridiculously crazy lives. But this, this practice, the Lectio Divina, the study of Scripture, the meditation of Scripture, where we're allowing the Word of God not only to enter into our minds, but to be internalized inside of our lives where the Word of God is actually reading us. The words of God are beginning to reveal the truth about what's happening inside our lives, inside our minds, inside of our hearts, inside of our very being, our core of who we are. Now, this Lectio Divina, it's just a tool, but you understand the concept behind what these monks were doing. They were internalizing Scripture at a level that few were internalizing Scripture at the time. And we want to follow in this way. What they're doing, though, is they're teaching us the importance of slowing down, the importance of carving out a little extra time in order to allow the Word of God to well, to make it past kind of the, the, the outside, the shell of our lives to actually make it to our heart. This is where whenever we're reading Scripture, we're not just looking for what's being said. We also are, are open to hearing even what we don't want to hear in that moment. But it's God's way of showing us what to do. And so we're able to not only hear God's word, but also allow it to read us. And so Richard Foster, he goes on to say these words. He said, if we want to receive from the Bible the life with God that is portrayed in the Bible, we also have to be prepared to have our dearest and most fundamental assumptions about ourselves and our associations called into question. We have to be available for the Lord to to show the truth. We read humbly and in a constant attitude of repentance 
Only in this way can we gain a thorough and practical grasp of the spiritual riches that God has made available to all humanity in his written word. If we're guilty of reading scripture just to get out what we want to hear, then we are at risk of a destructive path. If we're ready to open the word of God and to read through and to allow God to reveal not only the things that we want to hear, but also to expose the darkness in our life, we are on our path to the fullness of life. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came to to give life. And one of the greatest ways we learn how to do that is by allowing the word of God to read us. Allow it into our lives, knowing that it's the Lord speaking to our hearts individually as well as collectively. There's a kind of a funny story. Um, This guy named Gaylord, I think anybody named Gaylord is the best name ever, okay? Greatest name, you know. So anyway, he served as the general secretary of the Bible Society of Zimbabwe. There was a time in that time, way back in the day, it's kind of an interesting practice, but he was out selling the New Testament, right? He's selling the New Testament. That's, I find that interesting. But anyway, he was doing that. He came back to this guy, and the guy said, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I'm not buying it, man. I'm not, I'm not buying the New Testament. And he says, okay, so, so um, uh, he goes, well, here, let me give it to you. You can just have it. And the guy goes, look, you can give it to me, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the pages to make cigarettes, I just need you to know. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the pages in order to make cigarettes. And so Gaylord looks at the guy and he says, okay, look, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you the Bible and you just promise me you're going to read the page before you make it a cigarette. And so the guy agrees and uh, he, he says, okay. So he, so he gives them the New Testament. They go their separate ways. And about 15 years later, there's a conference and the guy recognizes Gaylord in the crowd. He begins to tell the story of what happened in his life over the last 15 years. And so he told the story about he's, you know, told him what he was going to do and the, the agreement that they had and everything. And so he began. He said, well, I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. Uh, then I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, it smoked me. It smoked me, and my life was changed from that moment on. He went on to become an evangelist, devoting his days to telling other people about Jesus. Now, obviously, it's the irony of literally ingesting the Word of God versus feasting on the Word of God versus smoking the Word of God versus all of that. But the truth is there. When we open up our minds to allow God to massage our heart, and to reveal what is going on in our lives, truth, and the things that are, that are not as, as pure and holy as we would like for them to be, things happen. Beautiful things happen. There's a, there's a fullness that becomes available to us. And so it's important for us to just remind ourselves tonight that as we read Scripture, can we fight the urge to read it from the perspective of, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this today? What am I going to take today that I can use in my everyday life either to, to, to better whatever or make things better for me or whatever the case may be? And it's not that those things don't happen. Those are wonderful byproducts of studying the Word of God, but they're not the reason we study the Word of God. We're not, we're the reason we study the Word of God is not just to problem solve. It's to mature in righteousness 
and holiness. And so scripture is useful for far more than knowledge, far more than a rule book, far more than a suggestion on how to handle relationships, far more than a self-help book. It's far more than any of those things, far more than right behavior, far more than a moral compass. It's far more than those things. It's the living, breathing word of God that changes lives forever and ever. And so we ask ourselves as we finish up this evening, have you ever been guilty of reading God's word with a what's in it for me perspective? I think across the room, every single one of us that has read the word of God, we all can say at some level in our lives that we've read it with that question in mind. What am I gonna get out of this today? What am I gonna get out of this? Maybe you've even been guilty of, of saying things like, you know, it's kind of, this is interesting. This is a phrase that really is meant as a positive thing, but it's very, very um, misleading. You know, because you ever said phrases like the Bible says? Well, the Bible says, and fill in the blank. You know, it's an interesting phrase, right? Because the Bible doesn't say anything. Did you know that? The Bible has never spoken a word in its entire life. The Bible has never said anything to you. But God has said through his word. God's word says. God says through his word. Do you see the nuance there of how important it is? Maybe you've been guilty of, well, the Bible says. Maybe, you know what, I even sing a song every night that when I get to this part in my son's room, I get to this part and it gets me every time. Jesus loves me, this I know. What is it? For the Bible tells me so. The Bible doesn't tell me so. God tells me so. And I know you're sitting here going, man, we're getting into semantics here, Cook. This is a little bit ridiculous. But do you understand the importance of the semantics? This is not just a historical book. This is not just a bestseller. This is the living, breathing word of God that changes lives. Because God is the one who is changing lives. This isn't a system of rules. It's not a system of regulations. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of fight these norms. We want to fight the what's in it for me. We want to fight these, these, this rule book Christianity, the checklist Christianity, and we want to delight in God. We want to allow God to, to mold us and make us into his image. And so instead of what's in it for me, this week, tonight, the remainder of our days, let's ask this question. Will you allow the words of God to read you? Will you allow, as you read God's words, will you allow them to read you, to show you who you are, to reveal your true self so that you can live life to the fullest through the person of Jesus? Will you allow the words of God to read you, to reveal the truth about you, to make you realize what's off the mark? Will you read the words of God and allow the God's word, God's word to read you to correct you where you are wrong and teach you where you are right? This is what it comes down to. As we read the word of God, this is the why behind. This is what we do when we open up the word of God and we read a Bible plan or we, we listen to you know, the, the daily reading that's there you know, in you version. Or we, and then we take a moment and we sit with the Lord and say, 
What do you see, Lord? Will you read me? What's the truth? What's off the mark? Where am I wrong? Will you teach me to be right? No. Will you teach me righteousness? Will you teach me righteousness? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. This week, what I hope we're able to do is we're able to read Scripture with this pliable spirit this week. Because I promise you, if you'll do it, it's going to change your life. Father, we love you and we want this so badly. We want to find ourselves uh, willing and able and okay to turn loose of the controls. You know, because Lord, we, we do like to be in control and we do like to plan things out and we do like to, to know what the future holds and we do like to know, you know, everything that we can know about whatever our situation and circumstances are. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us in that need to know that you're the one who knows all of that. And we can turn that over to you and know that you will meet that need in us. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes, open the eyes not only of our heads, but open the eyes of our hearts, that Lord, our very being, our very soul can see you. And Lord, as you are looking and peering into our souls, into the, the marrow of our bones even, Lord, that, that, that you, are, you are penetrating in such a way that, Lord, we sense you molding and making us into your image. And Lord, as you reveal your truth to us, Lord, may we then respond in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, out of that, Lord, our motivation for the things that we do become your desires. Your, what you desire is now our motivation. And Lord, as a result, those desires become met. Your will and your way is tested and approved. We're casting our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, we are able to become mature and complete where we are not lacking of anything because we've been through the fire. You burned away the chaff, and what is left is the truth. So Lord, as we desire you, will you guide us? Lord, I pray that you will help your word to 